Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. It is quite an honor to be with you here today. And Brother Kylie, Sister Kylie have been dear friends of my parents for many, many years. And because of that, I get the benefit of having that friendship also. And uh, Brother Cordell, Sister Cordell, God bless you. It's our first time to be here since you have been pastor. And there is a lot of good things coming your way. Amen. How many of you believe that? Amen. I believe that. I, I felt that very strongly here, um, worshiping. And I, I, tr- I had a moment. You ever had a moment? Just kind of sneak up on you. Un- you're not even aware that you need a moment or whatnot. Um, I had a moment over there while we were singing that last song about how I'm amazed. I really am amazed. I don't think God should love me. He loves everybody. But I don't deserve it. Maybe you think you do. I I know I don't. I know I'm a sinner that needs grace. And when he loves me, I'm amazed. And I just had a moment over there. You really do love me. I'm amazed by your love. And because of that, because he loves me and because I don't deserve it, I get to tell him, I have a life that I can give you. I can't do much for God. I mean, he's God. But I can give my life. And we have one life to live, just one, and that should be enough. We should be able to get done what we need to get done with one life. Some have a short life, some have longer life, but we have one life to give, and in the end, that's all God wants. He just wants our life. And an old preacher used to say, make it right, get it, uh, get it right, make it count. Old Brother Lumpkin used to say that. Get it right and make it count. And we're living in a crazy world, crazy times, 2020. I I, I don't think I'd be surprised by anything that happens in 2020. In fact, I'd probably be surprised if something just went smooth. But in spite of that, the more craziness that happens in our world, the more I seek clarity. I just want a moment like I had right there where nothing else is coming in, no, no, nothing else is vying for my attention or, or whatnot, but it's just a moment of clarity, God really does love me. And there's so, there's so many voices, so many opinions, there's a lot of distractions, but you know what? In the light of, in the light of his love, in the light of eternity, in the light, in the light of 
purpose. All of that just seems so hollow and in some ways almost pointless. All the stuff that's going on around us. Amen. How many of you need a break from what's going on around us? Amen. Does anybody else think thoughts like that? Amen. I'm sorry, I'm a missionary and I should be dead, so I probably think a little different than I did. But does anybody ever have questions like, what is life all about? Does anybody think that? You probably don't think that during the day when you're at work, but there's going to be a moment somewhere. Maybe it's when everybody's asleep and you're thinking over the events of not just that day, but you're probably looking back. You may even be trying to look forward and you're thinking, what am I here for, really? What is the purpose of all of this? And why are we here? You know, if we were able to answer those questions, you and I would find fulfillment in life. We'd find satisfaction. Rolling Stone magazine had a um, exhaustive historical poll on what is the most significant rock song of the last 50 years. And I think this report is a little older, so it didn't include the, the, the stuff that's happened in the last decade or two. But you know what song they chose as the most significant rock song in the last 50 years? It was entitled, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. And I think that's kind of ironic, the fact that in spite of all of our advances and achievements and the fact that the quality of life has continued to rise, isn't that right? And, and conveniences, we no longer have to wash our clothes on the old scrubbing board and, and hit them with, with wooden paddles anymore. We got a button that we push. But in spite of all of that, the song that is kind of like the anthem of our soul-sick world is, I can't get no satisfaction. And so for those of you that don't know, some of you know my testimony, I will not be giving it tonight, but I should be, I should have passed away of cancer. I had stage four incurable cancer. I had it several times and it lasted for a several year experience. But let me tell you, on my deathbed, and, and this was when the doctors and the experts had said that it was just a matter of time and there really was no hope, I, I asked myself this question. A lot of clarity comes in a moment like that. I ask myself this question, if I don't have to die here and now, what would I do with my life? In other words, if you were on death row and, and they said it's over and the guillotine's out there back in France and, and it's your time to go and they put you there and they lock that thing down and the crowd is there to see the spectacle and everybody's in place, that last moment before the blade falls would probably seem like an eternity. What would I do with my life if suddenly the king came in and said, you know what, you don't have to die, you can live. What would I do with my life? And if our lives are currency, 
you know, they are because Jesus' parable of the, the talents says that our, our life is currency. How best should we invest our lives? And I want, it, I want a good investment. How many of you want a good investment? I, I want, I, I don't want to just have a small investment, but at the end of this, I want to risk something. And, and I want to I have a return where my master, when he comes back, he says, you know what, well done. Thou good and faithful servant, you have, you have risked, you have given, you have tried. And so we don't want to waste this precious gift of life on endless pursuits, uh, things that in the end are even trivial or maybe meaningless. And so maybe this isn't what you expected tonight. Some of you, for that, it would be to be a faithful saint in the church sitting here on this pew doing whatever you can do there are many who at the end are going to get to heaven and the Lord is going to look at you and say because of your faithfulness to your local church and the fact that you did everything you could in that local church well done you have been a profitable servant in my kingdom some people it's it's going to be it's, it's going to be an evangelist. Some people's going to hit the road and just go out and preach and live by faith. Other people, they're going to be teachers or pastors or some are intercessors. Some, your ministry, the way you're going to live your life is through being a prayer warrior. And that's your ministry. That's your, your calling. And it's really endless what we could invest our lives in but you know I miss I just told pastor before church I miss the old days I love I love modern conveniences I don't want to go back in time but I do miss maybe it was just me maybe it has nothing to do with time but I I miss the times when there would be somebody maybe it was a missionary would get up and just preach you've got one life to live and you would just you would feel that. You'd feel that tug in your heart and you would just, at the end, you'd just find a place and just say, world, go away. I need a moment here with God. And we used to sing the old hymns, remember? I surrender all. If you're young, you may not even know what that means and what a shame, but you know, that's a song we used to sing all the time. I surrender all. And I, I miss that. The call, give, give your life to Christ. And, and I would be like, sign me up, I'm ready. I'm ready to enlist, what would you have me to do? And so, let's launch into it. Apostle Paul was contemplating the end of his life and so he picks up a quill and he dips it in the ink and he puts it to parchment. And he's gonna write the young minister, Timothy, And as he writes, he's considering his situation. You see, he's in prison again after a brief time of freedom. But he's been taken again by the insanely evil and crazy Nero, emperor of Rome. And he was placed in a 
dungeon cell in the bottom. They said it was the bottom of the notorious Mamertime prison. And you can tell by the words that he writes while he's in prison that he's at peace with this. And he's also at peace with the fact that this was the end of his mission in life. That he wasn't going to be released from prison this time. And my mind goes to that situation because we are a lot of time controlled by circumstances. We think that if we're going to have peace, we need to have circumstances that allow us to have peace. Or we think that if we're going to be happy, that there needs to be things happen that make us happy. But Paul didn't consider the circumstances. I mean, he was in a cold, uh, uh, you know, stone floor of a prison. The sewage ran open and course with all the disease and pestilence and whatnot and um, he had no regrets that he invested his life the way that he did in fact we find and this is one of the most incredible testimonies to me when I read this if you understand where he was when he read it was that Paul had a spirit that was unconquerable that it didn't matter what circumstances he faced that he was, he was ready to give it everything that he had. In fact, history tells us that he converted each and every jailer that was assigned to him down in that horrible place. 38, I think it was, that he just kept converting them. And he wrote at least four books of the Bible while he was down in that horrible prison. And so he was busy. And so as the end approached, Apostle Paul He said, if I'm going out, I'm going out with a kick. I'm not going out with a whimper. I'm going to go out with everything that I have. He was leaving it all on the field. And we find in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, he writes these words. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Sounds kind of proud about it, doesn't he? Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Amen. Poured out. We are vessels of clay made in the hands of the potter. And the vessel is not what's so special because the vessel is dirt and dirty dirt at that. You and I are flesh. The vessel is really nothing special. But it's that treasure, that mystery that's been placed inside of us by the Spirit of God. That's what's special. And so just before his end came, he was telling Timothy, the young preacher, when your time comes, I hope you can have the same testimony as me. You can pour it out, the last drop. I just, I want to preach to you just for a few moments, die empty. Die empty. Can we just pray where we are, Lord, in the name of Jesus? 
God, I pray that you would allow us to consider the potential that's in serving you with our whole heart, oh God. God, we know that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy soul, all thy strength. God, I pray that there would be revelation that would come to somebody. I'm praying for a young person right now. Somebody that's considering the future. Somebody that's considering their life and wondering, what is my life all about? And what am I going to do with the rest of it, however much I have? I want someone here, Lord, in the name of Jesus, to consider the fact that they have an offering of priceless value that they can give to the Lord. And it's their life. Everybody say amen. Amen. Are you all okay? Amen. Is it okay to be a little heavy? Amen. I like to shout. I like to run. I love all of those things. But the fact of the matter is the greatest testimony that anyone can ever give is this. I gave it my best. Amen. We have different levels of ability. We have different talents. We have different resources. So we don't compare that. But what we compare is effort. Did you give it? your best finishing strong is the greatest testimony it's a lot greater than starting fast starting fast doesn't mean much we've all seen that finishing strong that's the testimony so many times people ask me um, you know I was raised on the mission field from age two I went to kindergarten all the way to 12th grade. I kind of know third world living. And people ask a lot of questions, a lot of dumb questions. Do they have cars over there? Yeah, we have traffic jams that last two hours going 30 30 feet. They have cars. They just don't know how to manage traffic. Stuff like that. They live in houses. Yes, they have houses. But one of the main questions I get from people is just, it's this. What is the biggest difference between the people there and the people here as far as church goes? What's the biggest difference? And here's, here's my answer. Americans don't know how to suffer. Americans don't know how to suffer. I'm American, even though I was raised there. I'm privileged, so I'm American. I didn't say Americans don't suffer because we do suffer. We go through hardships. We have trials. We have challenges. And we get disappointed. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we don't have that. What I'm saying is this. It's though we we go through many different hard times, but we don't know sometimes, and this is a, I'm not speaking to individuals here. There may be somebody here, you know how to suffer. But I'm talking about America's culture as a whole doesn't know how to suffer. And there was a time when we did, as a culture, know how to suffer. The pioneers of the early days, um, they knew When they set out, they might have come from Ireland or they may have come from 
the famines in Scotland, or they may have come from China, or they may have come from wherever, um, but they knew that when they started out, here's what they knew, it's not going to be easy. That's what they knew. They had already settled that in their mind that I'm not going because it's going to be easy. They didn't wake up with any delusions and say that I'm about to set out into ease and a life without challenges. They knew. What I'm about to do is going to be a challenge for me. And they knew that it was going to be another day when they woke up that they were just going to have to give it their best. They'd probably have to fight something. They'd probably have to, they'd probably have to eat something that they didn't want to eat just to stay alive. They knew that that was going to happen. The farmland that they came when they were the pioneers, it wasn't ready to plow and plant. There was a stand of trees that had roots going deep down. They had rocks, they had boulders, they had different things. And they knew this is going to be work. This is probably going to be the hardest job I've ever done in my life. But what made them do it was they reached down and they felt that rich, dark soil. And in their mind, they imagined a time when all of those trees and stumps and rocks and whatnot are all gone and they're able to plow deep down into that with the river running through it and they'd be able to have something that meant something. And so they pull up the stumps and they move the boulders and the ones they couldn't move, they just plowed around. And they didn't... They didn't grumble and say, man, it's hard. At least they didn't grumble to the point where they gave up. They would just say, it's difficult, but I'm going to get through this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to turn this untoilable land into a place that I can produce a great harvest. And so they continued and they had visions that were greater than their pain. Their dreams kept them through the long, hard winters. And of course, they didn't like the trials. Probably they didn't like it and uh, they didn't like what they had to face. But their approach to it, they fell and got back up again. Amen. And so, if you know how to suffer... You don't ask this question. This is the universal question. Why is this happening to me? Amen. I know nobody's asked that. I've asked that before. Lord, why? I've been faithful. Why is this happening to me? I'm a preacher. Why do I have cancer? As if what? Somebody else should deserve it? We ask questions that I'm sure God looks down and he's like, are you really thinking this thing through? Why is my life hard? Well, everybody's life is hard. You think yours is supposed to be easy. And so if you know how to suffer, you don't ask that question, why is this happening to me? But if you know how to suffer, you ask a different question. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What is my goal? What is my point? What, what is my purpose in life? 
Therefore, if you have that question answered, you won't have to ask, why is this happening to me? Because you overcome it. Amen. Does everybody get that? And so in other words, if you know how to suffer, you don't focus on the heavy or the the multitude of boulders or rocks that you have to remove. You, You focus on that rich soil that needs to be freed from those rocks and those things that are standing in your way so that you can get there. That might be the biggest disconnect between a culture that's blessed and a culture which is probably 95% of the rest of the world that doesn't have much. The early apostolics, they, the apostles, James, Peter, Paul, Andrew, all of those Those guys, they endured, the Bible says, endured hardship as what? A good soldier. And so Philippians chapter three, verse eight says this. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things because of him. I've lost all things, but what? I do count them but dung that I may win Christ. He knew how to suffer. Perspective. Everybody say perspective. Philippians 1.21, for to me, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 4. Verse 12, I know how, this is what he said, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Amen, we call it suffering, they call it life. We don't think it should happen to us. We think something's wrong with us if we're running on empty and we, we wonder if God has left us and we're worried about what people will say when we run into some hard times. I tell you what, I had a lot of guilt being a man of faith and having stage four incurable cancer. I had a lot of, I don't know if you call it religious guilt or what. It was like, well, where's your faith? That's the things that would go through my mind. Where's your faith? You're the one with cancer. You're telling everybody that God heals. How come you're the one with cancer? We get embarrassed by our hardship. Instead of just being faithful, no matter what happens, no matter what comes. Man, this is a disaster. I can't Instagram this. Amen. We fear We fear those situations. Something must be wrong with me or even worse, something must be wrong with God that I'm going through this. We look for someone to to blame. Let me tell you, on our first tour in the Philippines, our whole family, we had three small, small children, I think age six, uh, twin boys, and then Corey, our daughter, was maybe four. And we were to teach in a Bible school and that first six months, our whole family, we slept on a hardwood floor for six months. We didn't have furniture. We didn't have beds. We had one pot to cook in. One pot. And we ate ramen noodles most of the time. And 
Somebody might say, well, man, that sounds like a terrible thing. No, it's the greatest year of our life. It was the greatest, most incredibly fulfilling year of our life. And when we look back at that year, when we were there, even though we encountered a lot of hard, we didn't have enough money to pay for electricity to air condition the whole mission house. So the entire time, our whole family lived in one room of that house. And I'm telling you, we had the most incredible value added to our life during that time. Um... Brenda had saved some money for me. It was my birthday. And my shoes, I needed new shoes. I wore the same shoes to teach every day. And they were looking pretty bad. And so she had secretly, very sneaky lady, had been able to save some money for my birthday. And the day of my birthday came and she presented me with this money for us. It was a fortune. It was $80. I mean, it was like, oh my word, where did $80 come from? And she said, I want to buy you shoes. I've saved this. It's been, a, it's been difficult. I haven't lied, but I have misrepresented the truth several times, but I've saved this money. And so I went to class with that on my mind, all excited about the fact that I was going to get some new shoes. But as I taught the students in, in one class, there was about 30 students. They were from all over the Philippines. And I, I knew some of their stories. I knew the fact that some of these students, they had to choose between bus fare to get to the Bible school or food. And they chose Bible school. And I'm looking at that, and, and trust me, I was convicted almost every day of my life because I'm looking at people that their level of sacrifice so far outweighs mine. And, and I was looking at them, and, and a thought came to me. I know exactly what I want to do with this money, Brenda. I went back to her, and, and it was between classes. I said, I want to take all of these students to Dunkin' Donuts. There was a Dunkin' Donuts around the corner. Uh, we had to break the rules because the school had a strict policy that students were not allowed outside the gate during school hours. But I had very powerful negotiating skills because I went to the guard standing at the gate and I said with the line of students behind me and he's looking all official and everything, I said, if you will turn your back and ignore what's about to happen, I will bring you a donut from Dunkin' Donuts. About face. And we went walking out. We went into that donut shop. We were able to provide a donut and some hot chocolate for every student. They had the most incredible time. You know, the things they were telling me were this. They're eating the donut... Acting like they could hear Handel's Messiah. There must be angels. They were saying, I've never had a donut before in my life. I'm thinking, what? How can that be? You walk by the donut shop every day going to school and you've never had a donut in your life. No, sir, we've never had a donut. We can't afford a donut and they're so grateful and they're thanking us and saying sir we will never forget you for this gift I tell you what that night 
going home. I didn't have shoes. I had the same old shoes. That didn't mean a thing to me. I was so full of the experience that we had just had. We went to sleep, but in the night, we were awakened to the sound of what we thought was angels singing. And we're kind of groggy, and I'm, I'm half out of my mind, and Brenda's hitting me. Jeff, do you hear that? I said, yeah, do we die? What's happening? I hear a lot of voices singing, and it's dark. Is this what heaven is like? She got up and opened the curtains, and outside on the veranda, outside our bedroom, the students were there. It was five in the morning, still dark. They all had their hair combed. They had a guitar. And they were singing, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. We got ready. We went out and mingled among them and they kept singing. I probably would forget the shoes that I would have bought that birthday, but I have never forgot that experience. Why? Because when you have an opportunity to do something for the work of God, you don't lose that, but you keep it. That's why when Jesus said, if you try to keep your life, you will lose it. But if you give your life for my sake, you will what? You'll save it. You won't lose it. And so I understood for the first time what Paul said when he, what he was talking about when he said, I just count that all as dung. I lost that. And you know what? That couldn't mean less to me because I got something so much more valuable in return. In the city of Manila, there was a typhoon, actually it was two typhoons that locked over that massive city. Nobody really knows how many people live in that city, but it's 20 to 24 million people. How many live in Wisconsin? Eight million? And it's a big land area. Can you imagine 24 million here? But can you imagine 24 million the size of an area about like Milwaukee? And a dam broke upriver because of the flooding. It was just too much overload for that uh, retainment system. And the water came rushing into the city. And in a, in a period of 30 minutes, the water rose in that city up to a height of 12 feet in certain areas. And one of the areas was just very near where the Bible school was. And it was one of the leaders in the organization there. His church was flooded. They lost everything. They tried to get their sound system and everything up into a higher place. They couldn't. The water just came in too fast. Buses, vehicles, everything was destroyed. That was Saturday. He didn't have a chance to communicate. Nobody had power. And we were able to get word to him. And he told me this. He said, our sanctuary, the street outside is mud. And inside the sanctuary, there's like this much mud and junk, it's terrible inside that entire facility. Sunday morning came. All of the church people 
That's the most worshiping church you've ever seen. All the church people were in that same area too. So that had happened to them. But Sunday morning, here they came. Nobody told them to do it. There was no organized effort. They woke up in the morning and they said, well, we don't have anything. But what day is it? It's Sunday. What do we do on Sunday? Well, there's no, there's no question what we do on Sunday. Come blank or high water, right? This is what we do. They started coming in, bringing shovels and wheelbarrows and mops and, and, and cleaning supplies and whatnot. And they came in and they began to work and they cleaned up the church while they were singing and while they were worshiping before they even touched their own house. You see, they know how to suffer. A lot of times when something bad happens to us, well, I'm just going to sit back for a while. It's been rough. I think I'm just going to let y'all go and I just need to, and I'm not talking about people who are, who are being careful. That's, that's wise. You're doing the right thing. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is sometimes when the going gets tough, anybody know what I'm talking about? We know how to be blessed, don't we? It's kind of a new thing. I don't know how new it is, but you say it, I don't know where everybody, there must be like a universal teacher that goes around all churches all over the world because everybody knows this. God is good and all the time. Yeah, that's true, but it's not in the scripture. I looked, I didn't find it. You know what they used to say? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. What? Blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, there are going to be times where it's harvest. There's going to be times where it's loss. But no matter what season I'm in, I'm going to bless the Lord with all my soul. I am not going to forget all his benefits because he's been there for me. I'm just in a bad spot right now. Sign me up, Lord. I know how to bless the Lord when he's given me things. And I know how to bless the Lord when he's taken things. Amen. I want to be a good soldier, Lord. Sign me up. Not just for the easy task. But give me an important task. You know what? If that important task is a hard task, go ahead and give me that too. Amen. We flew out of Milwaukee in February of this year. And we launched out by faith. We were going to do something we'd never done before. Like I said, I was raised there. This is a dream I had had since I was a kid. There's 7,100 and something islands in the Philippines. We haven't near about been to all of them. And we were getting communication from a lot of churches that are in those islands. And we just decided, Brent and I, we don't know how we're going to do this. They say there are boats, they say that there's a schedule. Sometimes you can roll a vehicle up on them. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes there's a hotel. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes there's food you want to eat. Sometimes you're eating crackers and peanut butter for days and days on end. 
but we're going to do this. And so if you could just show the first picture there. We packed up our van and five of us got in it and we were in that van. We said, we're going to be on the road for months. Well, on the road, on the ocean, whatever it takes. Um, The second picture, not that one. We loaded up and these islands aren't easy to get to, which is why we'd never been there before. They're hard to get to. We have islands that have Starbucks, McDonald's, Chili's Bar and Grill, TGI Fridays, Holiday Inn, Hyatt. We have places like that. Then there's places like this. And so we just decided I'm going to pack as much tuna fish, peanut butter, and jelly as I could possibly eat in two months. And we're going to hit the road. And what an honor it was to eat peanut butter and crackers for day on end. Amen. You know what? Actually, I'm a foodie. I'm a foodie and Brent and I are both foodies. We love little neat restaurants and we love flavors. I can tell when it hits the side of my tongue, it's got a different flavor in the back of my tongue. It's a different, I'm really, I'm there, right? And coffee too, coffee snobs. But here, we're, we're just eating peanut butter and crackers and it's like, mm, this is so good. Oh, I love this. Why? Because we had a purpose. Look at the next picture. That's kind of cool. Look at the next picture. We went to a large island of Mindoro. We found there on that island, it's a huge island with high, high mountains. The mountains are 8,000, 9,000 feet tall. And a missionary had never been to these islands. And what we found there were many vibrant churches, incredible network of churches. And so we went in uh, to the island. It was a long drive from one side of the island where the boat docked all the way to where we were going to meet the pastors. It was over eight hour drive. And as we drove to the south side of the island, we saw a lot of trees were down. And as you went farther, it was just total devastation. It was like a cat five moved in and just flattened everything. Houses were gone, everything. It was a powerful storm had gone through. And so as we continued to go back up to where the meeting was, it got a little bit better. And we met with the pastors up there. We had an incredible time of fellowship with them. We were there for almost two days Before I ask the question, what happened down there? All of the storm, all of the the trees flattened. You know what I found out? Almost every one of them had homes or churches in that area and they had been flattened and wiped out. And they hadn't said a word. We had time to sit and talk. You know what they want to talk about? Was all the souls that were being won. One pastor was telling me, I've been going up into that mountain right there where the tribal people are. They're called Mayan people. They're extremely cut off from outside society or civilization. And he's been walking 25 kilometers up into the mountains seeing those people. He's so excited about bringing the gospel up there. And it hit me. That was not even... 
Priority number one, two, three on their list to talk about was the fact that they just lost their house. And I, I'm always convicted by these people. I'm like, man, I got to be judged beside these people. I'm going to stand in the American line. I don't want to stand in their line. <laughs> it's incredible what they go through. They know how to suffer. They lose it and then they do what I guess um, Isaac, you know, Abraham did. He was like, well, if he, if he takes Isaac, he's going to give him back. So I'll go ahead, sacrifice him on the altar because he'll give it back. In other words, I trust God with everything. Radically, I trust God with everything in my life. And we didn't have a hotel there. We had to get a room in in a house of a stranger and we stayed there. We had to eat our crackers and peanut butter very quick or else the ants would eat it before we could get it. Little thin mattress on wood, you know, boards. You wouldn't call it comfortable. But you see, because we were seeing the vision of what it means to be a good soldier by them. They were showing us, they were teaching us that we don't complain. We just go ahead and make it. We're going to make it. And when church came, they worshiped and they clapped. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. And they all encouraged one another in the Lord. People like that you can't defeat. Amen? What a privilege. Look at the next picture. Is this okay, everybody? You know I'm not talking down to you. I'm with you. This lady... She pastors on one of those remote islands. She's the only pastor on the island that preaches the apostolic message. She's been there 29 years. She left the big city and by herself, she pioneered this church. She had a beautiful building. I was amazed when we went to this building. And in that building, she's talking to my wife and I and she says, When I first came here, she said, I knew that what I needed was help. And so I'd pray, God, send a missionary. Send a missionary, because if a missionary can come, they can see what we're doing and they can help us. She said, but nobody ever came. She said, but I just kept praying anyway. She said, finally, I got to the point where I just stopped praying. She said, because I believe that it's just, maybe it's not God's will. Maybe I'm not going to see a missionary come. Maybe nobody's going to come visit me. But you know what she did do? She kept being faithful in spite of it. And she was able to build that beautiful sanctuary and that beautiful congregation. And tears began to roll down her cheeks and she said these words. She said, but you're here now. My prayers from so long ago are answered. And I began to look at my own life thinking, How much can I do for God without any encouragement? How much can I do for God with no recognition? With nobody patting me on the back? Look at the next picture. Pastor Gallos, 80 years old, pastored one of the greatest churches in all of the Philippines. When he turned 80, he finally turned the church over to his two sons who by that time were very qualified to pastor because he's now 80. And 
He told God this. He said, Lord, I'm retiring from pastoring, but not from ministry. He said, give me my next assignment. Let me tell you where this man lives, where he has fought and, and as a faithful soldier, his whole ministry. He lives on the island of Mindanao, where they have three different violent extremist groups. One is ISIS. One is Al-Qaeda. Before America heard of Al-Qaeda, they were, they were dealing with them. And then a communist militant group called the New People's Army. All three of them want to cut the head off of Christian pastors. That's what they do. And so they live by kidnapping for ransom. That's how they make their money. And so he said, Lord, sign me up. I want my next assignment. And he said, the Lord told him, he said, you see all those bad guys out there that want to cut your head off? That's your next assignment. Go win them. He was like, well, I've lived a good life. I'll take you up on it. And what a quiet, strong man of faith he is. And he went and found one of the bad guys. They're easy to find. Everybody's afraid of them. And he went up to this man and, and, and he told him about Jesus. And the man was hungry. And the man, his heart was tender actually on the inside and tears started coming and he baptized them in Jesus name and then he was filled with the spirit of God speaking with other tongues and this man told him he said there are more like me and he introduced them to them to another and whatnot and he started baptizing so many of these militant soldiers that finally the commanders they said okay you guys aren't killing anybody anymore. What's wrong? You're not extorting money from the shopkeepers and the businesses anymore. What's wrong? Where do, well, we've, we've been born again. And you know what they told him? They said, well, since you are no longer going to do this for us, we can't let you leave. You know our secrets. We're going to have to kill you. And they told him this. They said, before you kill us, Will you let our pastor come talk to you? Now, there's a lot of pastors that would say, you must not love your pastor if you want to lead me into the den of lions like that. Don't you have any consideration for my head? But he said, you know what? I want to do this. They blindfolded him and they led him in a roundabout route through the jungle. And finally, when they took off the blindfold, he, he squints at the sun and he's standing in front of 25 commanders of the New People's Army. One of the most violent, long-running guerrilla armies that we have today on earth. And they said, why should we not kill you and them today? And he said, well... I'm here to tell you about Jesus. And he starts preaching to them. One man against all them. And the words hit them. Tears start coming. They're hungry too. They're atheists, but what they are is they're atheists because nobody's come tell them the word. They just need somebody to love them enough. Love them past that. He's baptized more than 25 commanders of the New People's Army today and all of their soldiers. There's an incredible, in fact, the, the, the revival that has broken out among those people has literally changed the geopolitical climate of that island. The government is like, what's going on? We've got peace here for the first time in 60 years. 
Was it a Black Hawk helicopter? Cruise missiles from USA? No, it was an 80-year-old preacher who just said, you know what, I've got one life to live and I'm gonna give it to God. Somebody say amen. Look at the next picture. And so that's, that's my wife sitting down with the children. Oh, you can't see it very well, sorry. But she's sitting with the children of those army soldiers, the new people's army. We're in the area where these people are, where um, Americans should never go. But there are brothers and sisters. The government's like, how dare you go? The U.S. government even. You can't go there. We're like, we worship with these people. That's my brother, that's my sister. No, that's a murderer. No, that's my brother. Paul used to be a murderer. He called him Saul back then. God changed his life. Look at the next picture. I hope you can see that. Nope, you can't. That's a bunch of tribal chieftains in the same situation. We ended up being able to go into, there's no police there. No policeman will ever go to that place. They all have guns on the side of their hip because they are the law. Look at the next picture. Amen. That's Brenda with some of our brothers and sisters. Look at the next picture. We'll just go through them kind of quick. That's the only church in one of the villages up there in the mountain. The only church, 120 families. It ain't very big, but somehow they all make it work. They're hanging out windows. They're standing outside looking in. Amen. They used to be murderers. They used to be extortionists. They used to uh, kidnap for ransom. But now they love worshiping God. We were there the day they got their first light bulb in their history. I'm talking back well, I guess there weren't light bulbs a thousand years ago, but they haven't had a light bulb ever. And we were there when the first light bulb, they got a little solar panel on top of the, their house and they got a light bulb and they all got in there and they were looking at that light bulb, couldn't wait for the sun to go down. They partied around that light bulb all night long. We have light, we have light. They wouldn't go to sleep. Why? Because we got a light bulb. Well, we've had light bulbs forever. Amen. Paul used a phrase that's just well known to the Jewish people. He said, for I'm already being poured out for a drink, like a drink offering. Amen. You know, I hope, I hope you hear my heart. My heart is just offering an opportunity to somebody. Because this world will tell you there really, there's nothing more than just going after stuff. That reminds me, I was in a, Minister's meeting. This was several years ago. It was on that island of Mindanao. Very remote. Some pastors are from the city. Some are from the mountains. So in other words, some people have stuff and some people don't have anything. And I was in the big room, big huge room, and they were handing out awards for things like who'd taught the most Bible studies and won the most souls and different things. And there was a pastor who was winning one of the awards for being a soul winner. And they were calling his name and he didn't come forward. And finally I saw fingers pointing and, and it, it was back by me. And I looked around and there was that man. And he was just standing there. He was, he was just kind of very, kind of shy. Just, but he, he'd won an award. It was a big deal. He was going to get something. They were going to give him a gift. But I watched the man beside him slip out of his shoes. And I thought, that's odd. Until I looked at his shoes. They were torn I mean, really, you could, see, you could see his actual toes through his shoes. 
And he looked over and he saw those shoes and he slipped out of his and put his on and he walked up and got his reward. And I thought, wow, that's pretty incredible. Nobody made a big deal about it. They just, this is just what we do. You don't have shoes, I'll give you mine. And it meant something to me. And so at the end of service, they said, get in a group. I don't know, 10 preachers, get in a group. And we all made circles all over that auditorium. And I, I was gravitated to this man. So I went over by him and I held his hand. He's a bony, scrawny guy. You could tell he hadn't eaten much. His clothes were very threadbare. His shoes were what I told you. And they said, pray for your, the man you're holding your hand. And I began to pray. Man, I had compassion. I prayed this way. I said, Lord, I said, bless this man. I'm sure he didn't have a vehicle. So I was like praying, God, let him get a motorcycle. Let somebody just give him one. Let it drop out of heaven. Open up the windows of heaven. Shower down blessings upon him. I could imagine in my mind, they have a dirt floor. Lord, let them have finances where they can get a, a, a real concrete floor and a refrigerator. And I'm thinking all this stuff. God, bless them, bless them, bless them, bless them, bless them. <clears throat> How many of you think that's a really good prayer? Don't, don't raise your hand. <clears throat> because I began to hear him. And what I realized was, I was praying for stuff. You know what he was praying? God, break my pride. God, help me to overcome jealousy. God, give me strength to continue, oh God. Lord, let my faith be strong in you. Don't let me ever give up. Not one time did I ever hear him say, give me the same stuff that they have. And I just stopped praying because I realized that stuff don't matter, really. You got your eye on the prize. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. I know I'm going to give my life. Amen. Amen. And so, I'm almost done. Somebody says, thank God. <laughs> 24 years ago, my wife felt that she wanted to open an orphanage in the Philippines. And there's 300,000 orphans in the city of Manila alone, not including what's happened as a result of the shutdown, which the shutdown has been magnified hundreds of times worse over there because of their economic situation. They have nothing. They don't have refrigerators and pantries with food that they can go to. The government isn't able to help them the way the government helps us. I don't know how many orphans are there now. But the Lord told her, open an orphanage. And she knew it was God. She knew the need was there. She had the compassion for it but she didn't do anything about it. Why? Well, fear of failure. 
fear of the fact this is just too big for me. I can't tackle this. But fast forward several years, we've gone through a cancer battle. We've gotten to the point where we've just started looking at our life saying, what is life really for? What's it about? Am I gonna waste another day on fear? Am I gonna sit here and know God has opened a door, but I won't go through it because I feel afraid? Am I gonna live my life that way? No, I will not waste a single day on fear. I'm not gonna let the enemy tell me what to do just because he knows how to pull my emotional strings. He knows how humans work. He knows that fear is something that we back away from. And we just decided... I said, God, if I don't have to die in this hospital, I will no longer allow fear to stop me from walking through a door that you open in my life. Brent and I made that covenant in that hospital. Well, God healed me. I didn't have to die in that hospital. And we got out of there and we were loose and we had a life. And I said, I got a life to give. I'm so excited. What can I do with this life? And we did just incredible things. We got to meet the president and, 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 and we've got a relationship with the president, had dinner with him. He loves my cooking. He loves my, my meatloaf, by the way. A lot of crazy things have happened because of that. Listen, your life would be so much more adventurous and so much more full if you would just tell fear, I'm not listening to you fear anymore. I'm not gonna let you stop me. I'm not letting you shut my anointing down. God, what do you want? Peter jumped out the boat. He's the only man ever walked on the water. Why? Simply because he didn't listen to fear. And so we go back to the Philippines and we're sitting with friends that we've known for years and years, decades. They're business people. And Brenda tells, I mean, she just blurts it out. She says, next year, I'm gonna open an orphanage in Manila. I mean, she said it with such force. I was like, what? <laughs> you go, girl. We talked about it, but not like next year. And our friends who were eating with us, they said, an orphanage? You want to open an orphanage? They said, we have something to show you. Tomorrow, we want to take you somewhere. We drove out of the city of Manila an hour and a half south. We came to this most beautiful property and they told this story. They said, 24 years ago, God told us to buy this property because a ministry was going to come to us and we were supposed to give it to them. But they never came. And so we turned it into a place of prayer and fasting. And my wife is hearing these words and she's remembering back 24 years ago when God told her, open an orphanage. And when she said, I can't do it, God was already providing the place. And so we launched ourselves into that. Amen. My wife loves it. We're here today. We got to see the birth. Well, we weren't in the, uh, the um, hospital. They wouldn't let us in because of COVID. But our first grandchild was born in the month of September. And we were so excited to see it. And we were able to be there several weeks and help mom and help the baby. Amen. I'm his favorite. No, actually... But you know what she says right now? I can't wait to go back. Why? 
we're so afraid of giving our life to God because we think somehow that we're gonna miss out on something. We think that if we do what we want, we're gonna end up with what we want. That's not how it works. God knows us. God knows what would make us ultimately satisfied. God knows how to bring joy. What's the name of your church? Abundant life. Jesus came with all these hard things he was saying, take up my cross, deny yourself, follow me, saying things like that, right? But then he also said, I have come to give you life and what? That more abundantly. I'm here to tell you that behind the deception, behind the thing that we think we want and we think we know what's best, God's saying, if you will just trust me with your life, you will end up with everything you ever wanted and more. Giving your life to God is the most wonderful thing. I have a video to show you. I don't know if it's going to if, if it's going to be very visible, but I'd like to show it and I'm done. Is that okay? We are here today because we're partnering with churches to help us finish this project. Whether you can help that way or not, I know what you can do. You can pray. Amen? If you're going to pray for this project, somebody say, I'm going to pray. Because there are orphan children. It's going to house 24 girls at first. We're a long ways along in our project, but we're not to the point where we can bring them in yet. 24 girls, and we got to get it done. Because those orphan girls are out on the streets and they're being preyed upon by terrible things and terrible situations. And so I want to show you this now. There's volume. If you could turn it up pretty good, that'd be great. kill a light or two. Philippines is undeniably beautiful and gracious. There is more to the story. We didn't go there for the beauty. We went there for the millions left behind. The Philippines is a nation of 110 million people spread across 7,000 islands. The main city of Manila has over 20 million people. We could say a lot about the city that we love, but for the purposes of this video, there are 3.5 million homeless, of which 1.5 million are children. 
While this is unthinkable, the more than 300,000 orphans or abandoned children is beyond unthinkable. Meet Adrian. His father died several years ago, and he rarely sees his mother. He lives on the remains of the old Manila landfill known as Smoky Mountain. He spends his time begging, digging through trash, and living on his own. These are the invisible ones. They live in the shadows, trying to survive in a world of predators, alone, hoping someone will find them. The realities of their lives are so horrific that we rarely tell the whole story, because our sheltered minds shut down and reject what we've heard. It's too terrible to be true. The more we are involved with these people, going into these very dark places, the more we are impressed by the power of hope. They were born with nothing. They have nothing. They only know this. Yet somehow they still hope for something they've never seen. It's as though God planted a seed of hope deep down in their hearts. And if you water that hope and give it a chance, they flourish. When the trash has been all picked through, the children strip down and jump into the sewage, feeling with their hands and feet for plastic bottles and cups to sell. After working all day in the sewage, they come out with a couple of pennies. They should be going to school, beginning a life with hope for tomorrow. But instead, it's another trip up Smoky Mountain. Could it be that Alvin finds the courage to keep on climbing this seemingly hopeless mountain every day because somewhere in his little heart, he believes that help is on the way? Nothing in his world gives him assurance of this. However, even in his condition, he believes he's worth saving. For years, we've organized meals and snacks, but dropping off some food every now and then isn't what they need. They need someone to care for them. They need positive role models. They need mentors. They need love. What they need, they need a miracle. The miracle for some of them is called Hope Village, one and a half hours south of Manila in the beautiful countryside. We are opening an orphanage that will be able to house 40 girls ages three to 12 and it will be an adoption center. An adoption center, you may ask? Yes, because we believe that these little girls deserve a good and safe home. our medical clinic you can leave them off it's fine that's our medical clinic it's finished but we can't open it because of the virus we have all of our things in the US that um, would help you know the sonograms the x-rays the exam tables the medical records uh, shelves uh, riding lawnmowers all the tools we have all of that the two-story children's building you're gonna see it's, uh, it's a, just in a beautiful setting, that big building, the roof is finally finished, that 
doesn't show the latest. The interior walls are almost all done. The rough end plumbing, the rough end electrical. We put a concrete wall around. It's about four football fields long. It's a concrete wall that goes all the way around. We're not finished with that yet. We need help. We're about to dig a water well. And so a lot has happened. Amen. Hallelujah. That's Hope Village. Can you pray for Hope Village? You can follow us on Facebook on Hope Village International and you can find more stuff about us. Pastor, thank you for letting us come here today. And um, oh, by the way, that medical clinic is a medical missions headquarters. People from all over the United States, Canada are going to bring teams Teams of eye doctors one month, teams of uh, dentists, teams of uh, different things, and we're going to have medical missions there. So anyway, maybe that can be some way that you could help sometime in the future. Youth groups, whatnot. It's exciting. Thank you. We love this church. We love brother and sister Kylie. We love the Cordles. We love you all. Thank you for listening to us. Can we stand? Amen. Amen. Pastor Cordell, I'm just going to hand it over to you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, brother and sister Mallory, for the sacrifice and for all that you do. Um, I've said before that God has given us miracles, and he's going to continue to give us miracles, our own harvest here at home. And I said that uh, we already have a foundation of prayer, but we're going to have a culture of giving like we've never had before. And I've said that I'm not going to get up here every week and, and ask for money and ask for money and ask for money. We're not going to become known as, as the beg for money church. But what I am going to do on a very regular basis is I'm going to give you the opportunity. I'm going to give you the opportunity to seek your heart and see what God's saying to you. Has God moved on, to you, moved on you in this situation? Has he moved on you to do something for him, for his ministry, and for these wonderful people who've given everything, everything, to, to be missionaries and to minister to those people that we just saw in that video. And so tonight, before we go, I think it would be great if we just took a couple moments and, and let's just, right where you are, we don't have to have an altar service tonight, but just pray for just a couple of moments. If God moves on your heart and you decide that you want to be a part of what they need, they're just short of a goal of, I think uh, they said $70,000 in the state of Wisconsin. They've raised already in just a few weeks $54,000. They're very, very close to their goal. And I think it would be wonderful if maybe we could be a small part of helping them get a little bit closer to that goal. Maybe a lot more closer to that goal. So tonight, if you could say a word of prayer, and those of you that are home, you can use the church giving app. You can select visiting minister, and we'll make sure that every penny donated gets to brother and sister Mallory. I know that Sister Cordell and I are going to be making a contribution. We want to be a part of this awesome ministry. And uh, we definitely want to do something. So let's take just a couple of moments. Let's go to God in prayer. Thank him for all the bounty and the blessings that we have, all the richness and the wealth that we're, we're surrounded in at all times. We've got food on our tables. We've got wonderful clothes and cars and homes. We've got great schools. We've got great families. We're so blessed beyond measure, as I've said many times from this pulpit. We're wealthy beyond the dreams of avarice compared to seven-eighths or maybe more of this entire world. And uh, God can only bless you. You can't outgive him. You can't outplan him, outthink him. And um, so I want to give you that opportunity tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, 
Lord, we're so thankful, God, for your mercy and your grace, everything that you've bestowed on this awesome nation. You've blessed us mightily, Lord. There's so much that we take for granted that we couldn't possibly comprehend the lack of substance and sustenance that the rest of this world uh, suffers with, Lord. And tonight, we open our hearts to you, God. We're looking to you, Lord. If there's something that you have for me to do, if you want to speak to me, God, tonight, to assist in this wonderful ministry, these millions of souls that you love, God, that you would love to see helped and ministered to with the gospel. Lord, speak to us tonight, God. Put something into our minds and into our hearts that we would be able to help brother and sister. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.